Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With us today, we've got Sue. Hi, everybody. And we've got Jera. I am also here. <laughs> now, before we get into our main topic, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do first. First off, our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards. Addendum, we get to decide what awesome means. Our rewards, (laughs) our rules. From thanks to on social media, up to silly watch-along commentaries, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. You can also support us just by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Just give us the traffic and let us know that you're listening. As a reminder, our next book club pick is Articles of the Federation by Keith Canado. So if you'd like to join us for that episode, you can pick up that book and read along with us. And find the, the book club group on Goodreads, Ed. Uh, well, you go to Goodreads and you have to search Women at Warp under groups. There you go. Yeah. And then you'll see us at the other end of that reading rainbow. Butterfly in the sky. Shuttlecraft Y says hi. Take a look. It's on our pad. Reading Rainbow. <laughs> okay, that happened. Yep. So our main topic today was suggested by our listener, Jody, and she wanted us to talk about the best episodes for teaching empathy. Now, how do we define empathy? Well, empathy is the basically the experience of understanding another person's thoughts, feelings, and condition from their point of view rather than from your own, simply put. And we had a request on Twitter to distinguish that from sympathy. Yeah, so sympathy is more about feeling bad for someone and their situation uh, or, or their misfortune. So it's more a quality of pity rather than just being able to feel what they're feeling. Right. So empathy is more about understanding someone's views who is different from your own. And sympathy is about feeling bad for someone. And why I think this makes a good topic for our show is that um, empathy, in addition to just being like a nice thing, is I think essential for recognizing and addressing the suffering of marginalized groups as well as individuals that we care about. And we've had a lot of people who have listened to the show and not really considered a lot of the topics we were talking about being like, Oh, I never really thought about this thing that didn't relate to me. And now I'm having to go back and rewatch this with that empathy thinking, Oh, I, I guess it would be different if it wasn't me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's the importance of different perspectives when we're talking about something that seems as frivolous as you know popular culture but these episodes were meant to teach us things and empathy being one of them but then when we gain that empathy we're able to learn things about other cultures and other societies and other ways of life and that's what communication is all about isn't it at its Mm -hmm. core yeah, for sure. And I, I liked, um, I found a definition by Teresa Wiseman who talked about the qualities of empathy, if we want to break it down a little further, right. and said that um, in her view, empathy consists of perspective taking. So take the perspective of another person to stay out of judgment, which I think is super important. Um, and three, recognizing emotion in other people, and then 
for is communicating that. And I think that's really important to lay it out like that because, um, I mean, I think maybe a good example would be when people try to approach people they care about with, say, depression and the whole, like, all you need to do is go out and take a walk. Ugh. That would not, that would be sympathy. That, that does me, like, I mean, obviously it's someone who cares about someone, but that really is not, like, staying out of judgment and then recognizing their perspective as their truth. And so empathy should ideally turn into taking action that is in line with that person's truth. Know your truth and accept the truths of others. Yeah. So like, you know, if people are like, what would it just help me right now is for you to listen, then that is a good thing to do. Yeah. It's really weird how some people don't really understand that a lot of empathy is just being able to say, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I think empathy is equal. Sympathy is like placing the other person below you in a way. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, um, shall we start going through with a few episodes we picked? Yeah. And I think it's uh, important to note that we're specifically looking for episodes that teach us empathy rather than ones that just show empathy, which is kind of a fuzzy line, but hopefully that it will come across as we talk about these episodes. For sure, because we had so, so much uh, suggestions and feedback from listeners, which is awesome. Um, And one of the ways we decided to sort of pare it down, in addition to just picking some episodes that are maybe, uh, you know, more watchable episodes, (laughs) um, but also ones that that maybe take the, the audience along for the journey of discovering empathy versus presenting a very... easily empathetic situation to begin with. Mm -hmm. Maybe before we get started, can I mention that I did not see a lot of Troy episodes on this list? Surprising, you know, considering the the goddess of empathy. (laughs) Should we have a little empathy for her on that that stance? Oh man, empathy for Marina (laughs) Sirtis. We have no shortage of it. They took the word empathy and like twisted it to give her her superpower, right? So her knowing what someone else's emotions are, that's not really empathy. It's like the first stage. It's identification. But it's she... a definition of empathy, but it's probably not the best one. And a lot of times she uses it to, well, first of all, it's not often the, actually the focus of her episodes. No. Um, a lot of times when she does use her empathy, it's like, I sense that they're lying, which mm-hmm. is not really the sense that we're talking about where you would identify with someone to, you know, better ally with them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Empathy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I was going to put one Counselor Troy episode on the list, I was going to put Dark Page, um, yeah. which is about her empathy with her mother. Um mm-hmm. Although um, a lot of these episodes, I'm sure this will come up as a theme, that um, there is a bit of an issue um, or a possible debate to be had about situations where empathy is kind of forced on someone. Um, you, can't, you can be strong-arming someone emotionally and have it not be actual empathy. Yeah. 
Um, but I mean, I think in this case, she's uncovering a secret that her mother doesn't want to share for his, mm-hmm. her mother's own good. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily Loxana's wishes, although she is grateful mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, but I think for me, that's a really powerful episode because I know that someone I definitely need to try and have more empathy for is my mom on a pretty regular basis. So trying to recognize that like <laughs> my mom's been through a lot. And even though she can sometimes feel like my Loxana Troy... Um, I need to more understand where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, when we started talking about this topic, the very first episode that came to mind for me was Devil in the Dark. Yes. It is a very uh, for anybody good who doesn't remember, this is the one with the Horda. And it's sort of the classic like sci-fi slash horror trope of, oh no, it turns out that we're really the monster. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> no kill I. No kill I. But it just, it really is just, just so classic in that as soon as the crew has their perspective shift, they realize what's going on. And they realize that all this is, is a mother trying to protect her young. Yes. And as soon as they do that, they're trying to help her do it. As soon as they have that, that epiphany. Yeah, this episode came up a couple of times in the suggestions from Duncan and Melina. A lot of episodes were suggested by multiple people, so we'll try and list as many as we recorded. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was one that came to my mind too, because it's such an early example of looking beyond the initial impulse to be afraid of something you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Do you want to pick one next, Grace? Well, the one that I always want to go back to is Duet, and it was one that I know multiple people wanted to talk about, and it's just such... Uh, I always go back to this episode. It's no secret it's one of my favorites, and I think it's one of the most kind of important ones when you're talking about uh, Deep Space Nine as having a lot of real-world analogies for... Um, the aftermath of World War II and also just Deep Space Nine establishing itself in its first season as digging a little darker than a lot of the other Star Trek iterations. And for those of you who don't remember, it's the one where Kira has a Cardassian show up on the station and she realizes, oh, this guy's a war criminal who killed a bunch of Bajorans. Or is he? Anyway, it's one of the ones where I think Right off the bat, you empathize with one character, and and you don't have sympathy for the other character by the end, but you also have empathy for them. And it really does force the viewer into an uncomfortable situation for having uh, empathy for both sides. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important, especially when you're talking about not so much two... Well, not so much two sides of an oppressed party, because there's always an oppressor and an oppressee, but to force, uh, to think about being complicit, can't talk today, um, the act of being complicit and sometimes how that is not a role that people just kind of fall into. Sometimes that is forced, which is really uncomfortable to think about. And being uncomfortable is really kind of one of the, the main structural tenets of empathy in a way. Mm-hmm. So it's an uncomfortable episode, but an important one. Absolutely. I think that that... Did any of that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, and I I like how you brought up the power dynamic, because I think that complicates it for me in what I think is a a good way, um, Mm -hmm. 
when thinking about this teaching empathy because it isn't like, for example, in um, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, where the two sides are pre- presented as sort of roughly equally guilty. Yes. That, like, both of them just kind of irrationally hate each other. Um, there is some, like, dialogue that sort of uh, lends one side more than the other, but that's oh, kind of erased by the end when they're just, like, chasing each other around trying to kill each other. So. Yeah. That one, you're dealing with, you know, trying to get them to understand each other on an equal playing field level. And then in duet, it's really complicated by that power dynamic, even, and the assumed power dynamic at the beginning. But mm-hmm. then when you find out Maritza is not this girl that killed a whole bunch of people in horrible ways, but was just a file clerk, how does that change the Who view? was still racked by guilt for, for being sure. complicit with that, even though he was culturally forced into it. Yeah, but like also realizes he doesn't necessarily deserve to be let off the hook, but it's, it's complicated that, you know, Kira is someone who was 100% on the oppressed side here, and then she's the one who has to develop empathy more towards the end of the thing because he's already gone through that process. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just emotionally such a complicated episode, and that's an important thing about empathy. It can be very complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Karen uh, said, Kira comes full circle by the end of this episode and has so much more empathy than she did, and certainly the entire story is driven by Maritza's empathy. I think that's true. He saw the suffering of the Bajorans, and he just couldn't look away. Which is, uh, which is harsh. You hear, I'm going to take this darker again for a minute, you hear a lot of stories post-World War II about uh, the people of Poland kind of being forced into a situation where they were watching war crimes being committed in their backyards and they were in no position to do anything about it except for just kind of watch it happen and then culturally live with that, both culturally and personally live with that guilt for decades down the line. Um, My sister was part of the March of the Living tour, which takes you throughout the concentration camps in Poland and then to Israel. And one of the things that still just kind of makes her blood run cold about it to this day is speaking with this old homeless man who kind of went crazy based on the fact that he was like, we saw the factories, we saw the smoke, we could smell what it was that was making the smoke but we couldn't do anything. We just had to keep going on with our lives and pretending that we weren't smelling corpses being burnt during the day. Mm. Which is horrifying. Mm -hmm. Did I make it too dark? No, that's, (laughs) I mean, that's, it's like, that's what the episode's about. So, and um, I think it can be a really good companion to those kinds of discussions. Um, And the, sort of complicated realities we live with after atrocities where you have people trying to um who were on the oppressing side trying to reconcile um but i think that um you know without like a gesture like maritza had then um you know there's there's limits in some ways to what we can accomplish but let's move on to another pick. Um, okay, well, I mean, it, to go back to the empathy versus sympathy distinction, I will say that in addition to not, not a lot of Troy episodes being suggested, we also had very few Enterprise episodes, which is to say one <laughs> suggested. <laughs> um, 
it was a decent suggestion, which is uh, Mike on Twitter had suggested uh, including observer effect. And this is the one where um, it starts out where Travis and Reed are being uh, possessed by non-corporeal life forms who have introduced a virus and uh, it's infected Trip and Hoshi and they're in quarantine and mm-hmm. the non-corporeal beings, it's basically their job to uh, infect people with this virus and see how they react. And we find out at the end of it that they're the Organians, so tie into the original series. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, they're kind of jerks. They're, they're, they're really <laughs> quite jerks. Yeah, possessing people is kind of a dick move across the board. Yeah, and I would say in this one, um, you know, I don't think it totally meets our test about teaching empathy because obviously we empathize with the people who are humans dying of this horrible virus. Um, But I think that at the end, it has an interesting lesson about sympathy versus empathy because these aliens go through watching this whole thing go down and they're supposed to be scientists just neutrally observing. But the one who's inhabiting Travis is developing uh, a sense of ethics and feeling like this isn't really fair, especially when the Picked virus a hell of a time for it too. Yeah, breaks out of the quarantine and is going to kill everyone on the ship. And so, um, and especially when they they spend some time in the bodies of Trip and Hoshi while they're sick and feel actually feel what it's like to feel that pain. And one of them still is like, no, can't do anything. We're observers here. Uh, we're just going to watch you die and we're totally justified because we're scientists. But at the end of the day, the other one who is empathizing with them and not just sympathizing with them says, no, this isn't cool. We can do better than this. I'm going to save them. And then we're going to go back to our planet and we are going to submit a request that this whole thing be updated because these people have proven that they are super intelligent. So it, it was kind of an interesting ending, I like, I thought. Plus some, some decent Hoshi moments. Yeah. This episode has always also reminded me of the next-gen episode, Allegiance. Uh-huh. In, in that case, the crew is not possessed, but Picard is abducted, and these outside observers are studying how different aliens are reacting to confinement and all they care about is the behavioral aspect of things without taking into account their their emotional states mm-hmm. right so they're studying the causes of this distress but without understanding it until you know picard then sort of does it to them which you know you can argue that it's not quite ethical in the eye for an eye sense <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting to think about these two episodes together and how on Voyager you saw someone developing this sense of empathy and it took something similar actually happening to the aliens on Next Gem for them to understand it all or even begin to understand. Mm. So I'm going to come out of left field a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and talk about ethics. Okay. Ooh. We have the situation with Worf and uh, Crusher and Dr. Russell about treatment. Mm-hmm. And I think what can be taken from this after Worf breaks his back and the treatment that Crusher wants to do 
has the greatest chance of him regaining most of his his abilities back and living a longer life. And Russell's treatment could possibly restore him completely, but it's a much smaller chance and it's unproven. And I think we see here a dichotomy between um, Russell trying to get her, her procedure approved, get her paper published, and get this notoriety and fast track what she describes as medical science. Um, whereas Crusher's real, real goal is the well-being of her patient. So I think we see Crusher caring about Worf and empathizing with that situation, whereas we see Russell not at all. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes sense. Although, I mean, I'm sure Russell would argue, well, I'm the one who's listening to what Worf's actually saying he wants. But, I mean, it's hard when you're in a physician-patient relationship because there's inherently a power dynamic there, too. That's true. Want to throw one in there, Grace? I do. I want to absolutely go for measure of a man, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think we both had uh, Andy and uh, various listeners suggest, and it's a really good episode. Um, For those of you who don't remember, it's the one pretty much where they are having to defend in a court Data's autonomy and whether or not he actually is property of Starfleet or whether he counts as an independent uh, living entity. Which, um, on one hand, requires, and I feel like this is one of the hardest parts of the episode to watch, uh, the fact that as a member of Starfleet, Riker gets pulled in to defend Starfleet's position that Data is uh, pretty much a piece of property that belongs to Starfleet, and him just having to be like, I'm so sorry, I am only doing this out of my duty to Starfleet, It's, it's pretty intense, but we also get... I think what is one of, I I wouldn't want to call it a scary scene, but it is the most, probably one of the most jarring scenes I've ever seen in Star Trek is the point where Riker is having to go on the stand and say, this person, this person who is a friend of mine and who I have been friends with for years is a machine. Let me break it down to you why on paper he is absolutely a machine and it's very intense and it culminates with him pretty much just reaching over and shutting data off. So he falls over onto the table. Mm-hmm. And that is just such an intense moment, both in the fact that, Oh, data has been, uh, uh, has been exploited here. And we all have empathy for data because we've seen him for all of these years and we've seen him trying to grow. And that, one of the core parts of Data's entire arc of the series is trying to empathize with other people. And the fact that no matter how much he grows as a person, there will still be this on-paper definition of him as property and not a person. And I'm going to put some cards on the table here. Um, As someone who is on the autism spectrum the idea of working your ass off trying to empathize with other people and trying to get on that same level of them uh, with them would you know that there will be this brick wall emotionally between you and just about everyone else you will meet is so hard and it is <sighs> trying and going forward every day and knowing that that will be there 
is such a battle and knowing that there are people who you trust with that knowledge, but who still know their ways where they can make you just fall flat like data on the table is so scary. Mm. And it is just, um, uh, that, that part really hits just mm-hmm. the fact that you can the empath- trying to empathize in and of itself is, can be such a challenge. Mm-hmm. And the fact that no matter what you do, there will people be people who will not empathize with you is very scary. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Grace. That's a scene that just has always, the first time I saw it, I think I was like 14 or 15 and it just chilled me to the fucking bone. It's absolutely gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it does really force us to remember that empathizing is hard and it is different for other people. Mm-hmm. And as this episode really proves to us, um, we can empathize with people who are different, but we have to remember that sometimes there are people who are different where empathizing the way it works for other people is not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've said it before, but I will say it as many times as I have to. That's why I wish that Pulaski had had a bigger role in this episode. Absolutely. Over her season, we see her go from thinking that, thinking that data is just a thing to considering him a friend. Again, there was just so much missed potential there, um, Mm -hmm. especially with the work that throughout the progression of the series, we see data putting into trying to connect with the other people around him. And Pulaski is kind of writing that off as, well, that's just not going to happen. Why bother? I feel like there was a lot of analogy that could be drawn there that wasn't. Mm -hmm. I think that the ending of that episode is really important as well as the the parts where Picard's making the case and pointing out that Data has friends. Data has people who care about him. And even though he's a like partly a machine and doesn't technically have emotions, that he has these relationships and connections um, just like anyone else. Sometimes the people that you have around you and the connections that you can make no matter what kind they are, are the thing that ground you and that keep you functioning. Mm -hmm. I think that Data um, has a couple um, episodes like that, and there are definitely more Trek episodes that question the sentience of machines. Mm -hmm. Um, And one that I was actually looking at was uh, suggested by Will, which is the Voyager episode, Flesh and Blood. Um, and this is the one where the Herogen call them because the, they say that the holograms they've given the Herogen uh, after the killing game have malfunctioned and are just mercilessly killing the Herogen. Uh, but when the doctor starts spending time with the holograms, he finds that they have exceeded their programming in line with him and are actually just sort of fighting for their freedom. Although they are mixed in their ability to overcome their original programming to be warriors. Um, And it's a really interesting episode. And honestly, I think Chainway comes off not so great. Um, Uh, Yeah. 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 She's just like, sorry, doctor. We have to help the Herogen. I'm not going to piss them off. 
these guys, they're holograms. We can't trust them. We're going to just put them, well, you know, we'll store them all. But of course, like, you can't blame them for not trusting Voyager, who gave them to the Herogen in the first place. Um, but I think that what, where uh, the episode really shines is this stuff between Bolana and one of the, uh, the holograms who is a Cardassian woman. And uh, Bolana talks to her about how, you know, even just seeing her as a Cardassian, she has trouble working with her because she has stereotypes about her. And the Cardassian hologram has stereotypes about Bolana as a Klingon that Bolana is like, well, that's not true about me. I'm recognizing that there's stuff that's not true about you that I'm expecting. I love how in this situation, you literally cannot deprogram inherent racism. But she kind of does because the woman ends up saving Bolana and the doctor, mm-hmm. and partly because her and Bolana bond over being engineers. And she. Yay, STEM buddies. Yeah, and where like their leader is this sort of messiah complex megalomaniac Bajoran hologram who just wants to like, kill anyone who disagrees with him. Bolana and this woman sort of agree and come to an understanding between themselves that if you know if you want to build a society engineers are more important than warriors and that if you recognize the value in someone else it's more likely they're going to recognize the value in you one thing that i like about this episode and um if i can segue into another uh discussion of another episode uh the voyager episode author author i want to say that's what mm-hmm. it's called yeah. But I like both of these because we get to see the doctor in a position where he has to address the fact that he is around a lot of people who aren't capable of empathizing with some of what he's going through. And sometimes he will be in a situation where he is the only one capable of empathizing with another party as a hologram. Mm-hmm. And I think that that comes across so importantly in author, author... Yeah, photons be free. Yeah. Yes. The one where the uh, the doctor decides he's going to write a book about the struggle of being a hologram and people don't and the crew initially doesn't really like it cuz it doesn't paint them in the best light and then they have to address the fact that it doesn't paint us in the best light but also holograms don't get the best treatment and the doctor knows that and he does he isn't treated horribly here, but he knows that for a lot of other holograms, it's way worse. And then they find out that the book is going to be edited without his consent and changed around. And it ends up becoming a whole matter of, well, no, because this is, this is a symbol of a group's oppression. And that's kind of more important than our personal comfort Mm -hmm. that some, that that's being addressed. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the whole holographic rights storyline they went through on Voyager was really interesting. I think in some places it could have been uh, executed a little bit better. Oh, absolutely. But, um, you know, we have Data, who we sort of look at as like a marginalized individual in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, and and people identify with on that level. But we really see this marginalized group when Mm -hmm. the doctor starts fighting for holographic rights and we see all of like the Mark one medical holograms working in a mine. Mm -hmm. That, that final scene though is just, yeah. So 
pitch perfect, the very thing of all the Mark Ones having to work and toil away in the mines and one of them leaning to another and going, have you heard of photons be free? It's mm-hmm. stirring stuff. But yeah. we know what they're capable of because yeah. we know the doctor. Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. And that's what makes that so horrifying. Really. Well, also, also, I think one of the important things of the episode is the crew realizing our personal discomfort or being worried that we're going to look kind of like schmucks means a lot less than uh, giving this, I want to say, creative outlet more like, no, no not quite. I'm putting this story into the world will mean more for this group of people that, and that matters beyond our personal discomfort. Mm-hmm. Well, and you would like to think too, that some of them went, well, if the doctor's perceiving us this way, maybe we change our behavior. Yeah. Can you empathize with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think we could do this episode without talking about Iborg. Oh, of course not. So this is the Hugh episode uh, where they find the, the damaged Borg on this planet, bring them back and heal them in a way, and um, or him, Hugh, give him a name, sort of help him discover himself as an individual and then have the whole fight about, well, we could implant a virus and send him back to the continuum to destroy the Borg. But that, but it would possibly destroy Hugh in the process, right? Definitely. And also it's genocide. Yeah. Genocide. <laughs> not great usually. Right. It's frowned upon. Um, but the crew also is beginning to see, how do I put it? Like, in Hugh, they're able to visualize... An autonomous individual. Yeah, an autonomous being, an individual from the Borg. And I think sort of get a reminder that these were people of other races, of other species, before Mm -hmm. the Borg came to them. And it's not necessarily a choice. I think one of of the really important things that this episode does in the arc of uh, TNG is introduced this idea of you can in theory um unborg someone and we had that with locutus but this is the one really where we see it is a process it is a learning process it is a healing process mm-hmm. and i think one thing that culturally we're really uncomfortable is the idea that in many conditions in many states you can heal, you can recuperate, you can rehabilitate, but it takes a lot of empathy in the people around you and a lot of patience on other people's parts to help you get there sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes being forced to look at a situation where it's like, if this person had the proper support system, they could be in a much better situation. And I think that Hugh's really a reminder of even if just a few people say, I could invest some time and energy in helping this person or talking to them, that there are positive changes that can be made. But empathy can be an investment. You do have to put a lot of personal energy into it sometimes. But that can pay off massively. Mm-hmm. Which again, and when we're talking uh, in a medical sense, the fact that it can be really hard to care for another person. It can take a lot out of you. But it's one thing to just kind of want to help, and it's another to be able to actually help someone. Yep, for sure. This was also another uh, very frequently 
suggested episode in our social media and yes. mentioned by at least Will, M- Michelle, and Patricia. Oh, it's such a good episode, you guys. What's really fascinating about it is that the, the character arguing on the side of genocide is Picard. Yes. Who is typically our very reasonable diplomatic leader. But again, because of his personal trauma here. Absolutely. He's been so hurt and so damaged by his experiences that his feelings are revenge. And it isn't usually that we've got the empathy hurdle there that Picard has to be the one to try and bring himself to take the higher ground. And yet he does. Yes. As, as bent as he is on destroying the Borg when he realizes what chance he has, he's able to stop and rethink things and come to a different conclusion. Yeah. There's a lot of really powerful Trek episodes about empathy for uh, someone or s- who was considered your enemy or mm-hmm. on the face of it should seem your enemy. And um, Deep Space Nine episodes came up a lot. And oh, yeah. There's a lot to work with there. Yeah. In addition, I think, I mean, DS9 and, and TNG for sure. Um, so many. We will never get to them all. Um, but <laughs> um, there are at least two that are about um, the Jem'Hadar that were yes. kind of interesting. Um, one is Hippocratic Oath, where Bashir is trying to get them off Ketracel White. And the other one is The Abandoned, where they have the Jem'Hadar kid that Odo and O'Brien are, are sort of trying to civilize, for lack of a better term. Um, and then, like Measure of a Man, Starfleet's like, no, we need to study him. And they're both interesting and both kind of maybe a bit mixed messagey, especially the abandoned, which ends off with um, like keeps cautioning Odo, like this kid was basically bred to be a killing machine. And we do see him become more than that, but under the threat of being taken captive does kind of become a killing machine again. And Odo at the end is basically goes to Kira and is like, you're right. So that's kind of unfortunate, but I think it's important still that in both episodes we see, you know, our heroes, the crew of Starfleet plus Odo, um, really saying that like our default position is we're going to try and and empathize and make things better and work with, with them to, you know, break this addiction or work with them to um, be able to uh, live without killing. However, it is really unfortunate that we fall into um, something that we do see in our regular world, this idea of, oh, but they're just killing machines. That's in their nature. Because how many, how many groups of people who are minorities do we already hear that sentiment applied to? Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah, and I, and I mean, it's, then it's particularly unfortunate the, that they're proven right. Yeah. Actually, do you mind if I jump to another one? Because I think it has that yeah, same, go for it. bit of the same yeah. problem and maybe an even more direct connection is the Voyager episode Repentance. And this oh. is the one where they rescue a ship that's about to be destroyed. Um, and it has a, some guards and a warden and a bunch of prisoners that are being trans, oh, yes. uh, transported to be executed. And I think it's an episode, uh, this was suggested by Cheyenne, that has a lot of super interesting moments. And it has some really, really nice demonstration of empathy from Seven of Nine 
towards this convict and all these convicts are murderers but upon and this guy is psycho uh, psychopathic we see him like threatening a guard and he's super creepy but then upon being treated with some of seven of nines nanoprobes for an injury he basically grows a conscience and suddenly wants to atone for his crimes but the justice system on this planet is super messed up wait 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 guys are you saying that there are people who are incarcerated that could be treated for problems and that that could in theory make them be less of criminals yep what and i think that that storyline is quite good except for you know at the end of the day they're ham strung by the prime directive and can't actually save any of these people and it feels awful although at least they all acknowledge it's awful mm. but seven of nines empathy is super strong in this she starts out being like kind of disinterested but then really becomes an advocate for him and janeway sort of astutely observes it's partly that you know, she feels that by allowing him to atone for what he's done, it will help her atone for what she did when she was a Borg because neither of them were responsible. Mm-hmm. But they have all this guilt. Um, but then on the other hand, Neelix is developing empathy for this guy who is from this species of people. Uh, basically, this guy says he, he was only uh, convicted because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. and this and his species is incarcerated at this amount like vastly over their proportion of the population their sentences are way harsher sentences are decided by the family instead of an impartial observer so it lets this bias play out in sentencing to an even greater extent and it's a very 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 clear uh, line being drawn to the sentencing of black americans and other people of color mm-hmm. and but then at the end this guy basically is it's kind of just written off because this guy one guy proved he wasn't a model prisoner because when the force fields went down this guy chose to attack people whereas the other guy that seven of nine was helping who reads as white didn't and instead helps the guards Voyager. So I wasn't loving that that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then they're just like, well, we're cool not appealing this guy, even though Neelix had dug up all this evidence that he wasn't treated justly either. But because he panicked because he thought he was going to die when and like took advantage of an opportunity in a violent way, it was like, well, I guess we're going to be okay with it. <sighs> so close. We said he is bad, and then he became bad, so we were right all along. <laughs> How about a happier example? Yeah. <laughs> if I could talk about a, a topic more than a specific episode, could I talk about the Maquis for a minute? Yeah. Because I think it's really interesting as a concept, this idea of, in contrast to Starfleet, this group of people who say we are, under most cases, aligned with the ideals of Starfleet, but here a line was crossed and we reserve the right to disagree on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that as a concept says a lot about empathy and how we see Starfleet interact with these group, this group of people who are saying, no, we don't agree with your decision and we want autonomy because of that. And I think we see some interesting stuff happen with that and just how the ability to allow different ideas uh, live in a bubble. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think preemptive strike is a great episode for that because uh-huh. you have Roe becoming empathetic to the Maki and then Picard getting why she does what she does. Yeah. It's a thing where you you want to see them as the bad guy, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, they've got a point there. I can see where they're coming from. Well, it's also showing us that as Starfleet officers, these issues are not expecting the people that we spent every week with. Exactly. But Roe, especially with Roe's particular background, being mm-hmm. Jorin during the occupation, even if that storyline hadn't really been written yet, um, <laughs> she she is in a particular place where she gets it, where she sees that the Federation is not always in the right. Yeah. And the fact that the Maquis are Federation citizens almost gives more weight to the idea that the Federation is not always right, rather than them just having enemies. Mm-hmm. And I think some of some of the heavier hitting stuff, empathy wise, is where we're forced into the position to say, "Okay, I see where you would make this decision. It's not the decision I would have made, but I see why you made it." Mm-hmm. And that's kind of part of why we get uh, wrongs darker than death or night as such an intense episode, where mm-hmm. Kira finds out pretty much that her mom was willing to be. Uh, Gold Ducat's mistress in order to provide food and shelter for her family during the occupation, which is so unpleasant to see Kira realize it, but at the same time is something she has to accept. Yeah, she made her choice, and it was definitely not the choice I would make, but she made that for her own reasons, and while I don't agree with them, I have to respect that. Although, like, among a very, very limited range of choices. Yeah. And, you know, the well-being of her family hanging in the balance you can swim up this amusingly named creek or you can drown in it take your pick yeah so you had a good example you wanted to share yeah i think um with whatever problems they may have as episodes that we can look to both um the outcast and rejoined as sort of teaching his empathy for people. Well, I'll just read what, what Oren wrote. He brought up rejoined mm-hmm. and said, it's an obvious answer, but it was one of the first times I really thought about how ridiculous it is to marginalize people for who they love. Yeah. And we've had comments about both of these episodes. We've talked about both of these episodes in detail, but it's really true. Um, when put in, it's sort of along the lines of let that be your last battlefield. Mm-hmm. When put in such stark terms, uh, you, it's really shown how ridiculous some of these judgments are, whether mm-hmm. it's based on race or based on orientation or gender identity. Um, it makes it all seem ludicrous. And that's the beauty of using sci-fi as an analogy for social issues. Mm-hmm. It doesn't so much. It doesn't so much simplify as just lay it bare. Yeah, like, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about um, The Outcast before um, and on all sides of it, but um, uh, I think that the uh, the scene where Soren is pleading in front of the council that's about to decide her fate is just super well-written and powerful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, like, your heart really goes out to her in that scene. 
and feels that it's just tremendously unjust. Yeah. And I like that we have these stories here, like with Let This Be Your Last Battlefield and with The Outsider, where they are very much like a campy representation of a real world issue and it can be very heavy handed. But I know we've had people say that The Outsider, or The Outcast, sorry, was one of the first times where they, in a piece of media, had to stop and think, oh, these people must feel really forced. That's not okay. We've mm-hmm. had a few people tell us that that was kind of a turning point for them in terms of their worldview. And there has got to be at least a couple people who were watching the original series, you know, as kids or coming from a limited background where they saw that on TV and that was kind of their introduction to it. Well, yeah, we, ha- we got a comment uh, from Jesse about Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Yeah. Who said it gets a lot of crap for being heavy handed and really dated, but it really did blow my mind as a kid. Mm-hmm. It is it is definitely dated, but for its time it you have to acknowledge that it was gutsy and pretty important. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know what? We don't get to have these conversations until someone starts them. Yeah, for sure. One episode that um, we're not going to talk about in depth um, because Andy is not here and we probably are going to do a full episode on it is The Inner Light. But I did want to read this comment from Kelly on her Facebook just as an addition to the conversation. And Kelly says, I'm the director of a nonprofit that teaches philosophy to kids and teens through literature and pop culture. First of all, cool. (laughs) And then she continues, we use Star Trek often as our text for discussion. The episodes that have so far elicited the most intense empathy are DS9's Far Beyond the Stars and TNG's Inner Light. These might sound like obvious answers, but we were surprised that our kids were more concerned about the gaslighting that goes on in the inner light than the bittersweet ending. We had a passionate, productive, and unexpected conversation about the effects of questioning someone's perception of reality. So, yeah, so that's really cool. That's a really good point. Yeah, and we'll we'll definitely get into that more in the future, and I'm sure we will also talk more about Far Beyond the Stars, but um, it also just, um, I think that Far Beyond the Stars, um, like you were saying uh, about Rejoined and The Outcast, even though Far Beyond the Stars is set in, like, our past, mm-hmm. I think it does a good job pr- prompting empathy uh, with Cisco's character of a Black writer who is basically told, don't dream too big. Don't get too big for your riches. Yeah. Yeah. And whose reality is denied as well. And it's uh, like a really powerful performance and powerful episode. The social problem. It is real. Yeah. In terms of um, DS9 sort of out of the box episodes, you can throw past tense in there too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's set in technically our future, but Deep Space Nine's past of, and, and it gives us, the very stark contrast of, you know, Dax being a white woman found on the street and uh, Cisco, a black man, and Bashir, a Middle Eastern man, being found on the street. <laughs> For sure. And we did a whole episode on that. So you should check it out if you're a fan of that episode. All right. So we should probably wrap it up for now. Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, one teeny, teeny little thing is I technically was incorrect when I said there's only one en- Enterprise episode. Uh, the other one is a was a very small uh, mention of the episode Horizon, and Jacob just said honorable mention to, to Paul's Frankenstein subplot, which is like 
if there's a B plot, I guess it's the B plot, but it's a very small part of this episode, <laughs> but it is awesome. And it's how they keep pressuring her to go to movie night. And eventually she goes and it's Frankenstein. And she comes out being like, of course I just, you know, it was awful how the monster was so oppressed yeah. and, and everyone just rolls their eyes at her, but she's totally, she's right. totally right. Yeah. That's the point. I know. And it was like, how are they missing the point? Paul deserved better. <sighs> I have empathy for to Paul. As do I. Um, I want to talk about the Vidians in Voyager. Yeah. And this was also brought up by um, Victoria on our Facebook page. And well, I'll, I'll just read what she says. Specifically for examples of how widespread suffering and death can erode empathy for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether that comes from a basic survival instinct or what. People who have lived in times of war or other severe hardship have talked about becoming capable of things they later thought monstrous. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think through Dinara Pell, we see empathy on both sides, which is really cool. And I'm I'm a pretty big fan of her character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that just goes to show how much having that sense of empathy is worth and how much better things can be when you use it for people. Right. You know? Use it with people. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we'll just wrap that up for now, then. There's a lot to still talk about right here. Remember, the con- conversations can continue on our Twitter and Facebook feeds. Shoot us a question if you got one, or a comment if you think want our input. That's crew at womenatwarp.com. <laughs> Facebook.com slash womenatwarp. Twitter at womenatwarp. Instagram at womenatwarp. And individually speaking, where can people find you online, Jara? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. What about you, Sue? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And I'm Grace again. You can find me on Twitter at BonecrusherJank. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Empathy. Thanks so much for listening. Roddenberry Podcast Network. Podcast.roddenberry.com.